as you practice, develop your practice, the hardest part is maintaining mindfulness, the strength and the continuity of mindfulness, and particularly having a job, going to work, uses up a lot of mental and physical energy, and that drains away, you know, at the same time your mindfulness tends to slip, becomes weaker. So your main goal or task is to try and maintain mindfulness through the day, as you work, keep coming back to the present moment, keep establishing mindfulness. As you learn to do that, then when you come to do formal sitting, walking meditation, maybe in your, your free time, you'll be able to maintain more concentration, more calm. And uh, if you really manage to do that, be able to maintain your mindfulness at work, and can come home and keep practicing more, you'll get very good results, and you go very well. Um, could you ask Arjun, um, ask Arjun about um, 32 parts of the body? I've been doing a practice on the way to work, on the way home from work, and I do Vipassana at home. Or I sit, just sit for um, uh, Anapanasati and then Vipassana at home. But the 32 parts, um, the way I'm practicing at the moment is I'm going through them, forward, backward, backwards, forwards, forwards, backward, backward, forwards. Um, and trying to imagine them in my mind. I'm just wondering if that's actually um, the right way because I'm not sure if I'm actually getting any traction with that. You just haven't done it enough. You need to keep doing it for 32 parts as you've described. Keep doing that and sooner or later you'll start to get more pitch from that, more calm, more calm. So is that the right way to do it in terms of imagining the parts of the body? So the head hair, the body hair, and then the insides and the bone, the bone marrow, that sort of stuff. So my for instance, it says yes, you're doing the right thing. For instance, you take the hair of the head. Okay, sir. You're sitting there and you might visualise it, what it looks like. Mm -hmm. An individual hair, the mat of the hair, how it is over time. So like, you know, every day it gets a little bit dirtier, greasier, and then you have to wash it. You're just running through like that, both visualizing and thinking about it, contemplating in that way. Okay. And the other kamatana that I've been practicing is uh, contemplation of death. And I'm just wanting to know if John has a, um, a particular way, because the way that I'm doing it at the moment is um, is simply to recite something that I've read in the Dhammapada, which is um, uh, about the body being like a clay pot. It's just his body will lie on the earth one day without life, without value, as useless as a burned log, and trying to use that to spur a sense of urgency in my practice. But I'm finding that there's friction there in terms of it becoming um, uh, a bit anxious because I understand this is such a valuable life that we, we have, or that I have, and I don't want to waste it. Um, so I'm trying to find the balance between doing that practice um, such that it's, it's beneficial as opposed to um, uh, source of anxiety. So you have to use the death reflection, particularly with your current life situation, like reflect when you die, what can you take with you? Nothing in the material world. The money you earn, the possessions you gain, the people you love, you can't take any of them with you when you die. Keep contemplating like that to boost your urgency to meditate, to practice to get a sense of what practice is more important than anything else because death is coming and you know, I'll lose all this other stuff and if you keep contemplating like this you might, you might reach a point where you feel ready and 
you know, sense of well, enough of earning money and living in the world, you might want to you know, go off and become a, a monastic and train in that way. And can you ask Gajan how he, how he knew that he, he wanted to be? Because I feel this growing, but it, it's kind of hard to know when the lesson plan ceases to be as a lay person and practicing versus as a, as a, a monastic or a bhikkhu and practicing. So I'm just trying to work out when, you know, is there something that will tell me that, you know, that, I'm, that it is time? Or is it something that you just make up your mind whenever? He said generally it comes when one develops, reaches a point, meditating regularly, practicing regularly, regularly when it reaches a point, one, one senses and says, it's ready, it's, it's time to leave all this behind, there's no, no point in carrying on in the world now, it's time to just devote myself to the Dhamma and I can go to the monastery or whatever. Um, the c- classic comparison again is, it's like somebody's seen that the house is on fire and it's time to leave. And you know, you, if, you, if it's really on fire, you see it's on fire, you don't waste any more time, you don't think about it, you go and you leave. You reach that point in your meditation and your contemplation where you realize it's time, time to go. And you, you, know, you don't really want to stay anymore as a lay person, but you're ready to go. Okay. Um, if you could thank Ajahn and just wish him a long, happy, and peaceful life. And uh, may he be happy, may he be successful, may he be liberated. He says, when you're ready, then you should come and ordain as a monk. I will. I will. Tell him I will. When I'm ready. He says, if someone keeps practicing meditation, keeps trying to improve their practice, understand the Dhamma more, then usually they reach a point where they can see that the lay life is a bit more limited. You've got to earn money, and you have to use your time and energy, many different things, whereas they'll see all oh, the best opportunity to really pursue this practice now is actually in the monastery or the monastic life. Um, I suppose the sort of the core of really what's going on inside of me all the time is um like I've got all this criticalness inside of me. Um, like I'm really, really like lacking in tolerance of things, just um, like there's not much survive, I suppose, particularly. Um, and I suppose I wouldn't. I would appreciate some sort of um, advice on like how to maybe use meditation or, or or practice in some way that sort of really gets at that because like I don't really think I'm making much progress in that, and that's the thing that sort of defines how, how I react to things in life and make decisions and so on. That makes sense. It's really training. You seem to understand your own character. Once you understand your character, you have to train to deal with particular weaknesses, say if it's the fault-finding mind or the critical mind. You really have to develop the meta, the tolerance, the kindness to, to counter that, the positive thinking to counter that. And it's a matter of training. Really. Because you know the problem, you know where to look. So every time you notice the fault-finding, the critical mind coming up, to change that back to a more positive source of kindness, tolerance, I can go. And just you know, being willing to work with that train that that's what you can do. I, I, thank you. Um, I suppose my perception of um, my my experience with staying in monasteries sometimes it often um, 
if I'm not around um, the, the big agile who has lots of investment, um, if I'm just uh, around my peers, um, there's this sort of the, the sort of the critical, the perfectionist stuff that I'm talking about. I, it seems to make things worse being um, in that situation. It doesn't sort of help. It doesn't help me chill out. It sort of makes it worse. And I suppose that's one thing that sort of I sort of try. And sh- I'm shying away from getting more involved because of that, you know, like I like hanging around with the Dajans because they've got lots of method, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there seems to be a, an increasing sort of, it sort of makes my my criticalness worse, or the critical perfectionist attitude, mm-hmm. you know, because everything has to be pinpointed. You said maybe don't aim too high in it, you know, expect to completely rid yourself of this quality of habit overnight. Aim, aim just in the present moment, day by day or period by period, just work on shorter periods. Say, maybe, maybe when you wake up in the morning, say you're staying in a monastery and you know your tendencies and you go out and find important others or get important to different kinds of aversion. Just make your, your resolve, well, for this morning, I'm not going to give in to the fault finding line. And you know, obviously also have to bring up the reflection on meta and how that how you can really bring out a sense of meta in your heart and try and maintain that for the whole morning. So you go back to your hut or your rest place and you have a rest and in the afternoon you do it again. But this afternoon I'm not going to give in to this whole part of your mind. And you know, obviously it might keep returning and you just know it. That's already half the job is just knowing any collator, any kind of mental requirement. Knowing you have to know it first before you can abandon it. So the fact that you're aware of it already, you just keep that in as your short-term goal, is just to know it. And then, okay, in this period of time, I'm going to try, say, for one day or half a day, not to give in to it. And just keep working like that, keep training yourself in that way. But don't expect, you know, I've got to get rid of all this fault-finding mind, critical mind in one day or whatever. You're not going to be able to do that. It should be more practical. And this is the core of the practice, so it's, it's not something that one's going to just sort of pass over very quickly. It's very much going to be a, a long-term practice. We need to deal with one particular character uh, wisely. And, and the Buddha said that what we're developing is called right thought, right attitude. And for some people, it's their their more their tendencies towards sensuality, lust. And sensuality of different kinds, and they're always having to pull their mind back from that using their super contemplating and stuff. Other people tend more towards dosa, aversion, negativities, having to pull their mind back with meta. But the aim, whatever your particular character, it's always to be developing this mindfulness, knowing the mood, your particular habit of mind, the way you think, the mood, the mental state. And then finding a way to counteract it, to balance the mind, bring it back to place of balance in the middle. So it's just knowing things, but not following the mood. It could be the mood of sensuality, it could be anger. And then to be established by connecting to bring the mind back just to the place of mind. And not, not giving in to the mood, not following the sensuality. I've got 14 years in Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> he says you can still ordain. He says it, it'll never be that you kind of 
you'll be able to get beyond this and then you'll be ready to come in the monastery you know? yeah. it's, it's something you have to come and work through and that's the whole point of the monastic training in life is to work through these things Even if you don't uh, ordain or come to live in the monastery. Here's a monastery very similar. Always thinking with a critical mind. Is it by an old ordinance, you know, quite common that many people 